Happy late Earth Day, everyone. Yeah, we should have mentioned that last week. You know, when we were talking about, you know, well, what are we going to talk about this week? It was, I don't know. And then I realized, oh, actually, you realized. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, it's Earth Day on, on Wednesday, I think it was. Yeah. 21st? No, that's 22nd. not right. 22nd. Yes, today's 26. Mm -hmm. We are recording this Sunday afternoon on April 26th, the day after uh, Rhode Island had their nice little rally when it came to COVID. But let's not... Don't even acknowledge let's it. Let's not jump the gun. This is episode five of While She's Napping. I am Adam. And I'm Cindy. Welcome. And uh, we got another couple of, or a handful of of five-star reviews on mm -hmm. Apple Podcasts. We'd like to thank you guys for doing that. And if you have stumbled upon this for the first time, accidentally, uh, arbitrarily, what have you, thank you for listening. We appreciate that. If you like what you hear, please give us five stars and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're listening to this on another podcast medium and they have some sort of review system or a rating system, we appreciate it if you give us a perfect rating, like right off the bat, before you even <laughs> listen to the content of the episode. <laughs> Do that. What else you got to lose? You can change it later on, but why don't you start off positive? Usually when you go somewhere, you start off with like an A-plus rating, and if the service sucks or whatever, you downgrade it to an F anyway. And when I went to, to college, the every professor would say, everyone starts off with an A, and then if you fuck up, it goes down, <laughs> right? And so that's yeah. how you should evaluate this podcast i think people are more likely to give negative reviews too if you go to a restaurant or a business and you have a negative experience you're all about getting on yelp and sharing that with right. everybody but if it's if it goes as you had hoped and it's positive you tend to just kind of sit back and take that and and move forward but we really could use the positive feedback uh helps us out a lot or the negative well, that feedback too. you yeah. know and aside from the podcast um uh, hosting sites we could also use your feedback on twitter or facebook or through our email if you have um, anything to say about any of the content we've covered on a previous episodes or if you have ideas for um, topics we could cover moving forward we want to hear all about that too yeah it should be noted that you can find us on twitter at she's napping pod at s-h-e-s-n-a-p-p-i-n-g-p-o-d you Don't can find yourself. us on, yeah well it's just it's weird <laughs> to think about how to spell stuff online when you just like you know say it you can find us on facebook while she's napping so facebook.com slash while she's napping cindy navigates that or the gmail while she's napping at gmail.com i always let you take the email even though you don't do it um so yeah, last week, uh, the episode when it came to the birth story of our child and how we sort of evaluated it, how we were surprised by some things, our expectations and whatnot, got some pretty positive feedback. A lot of people loved <laughs> the fact that I said that the first thing I thought of when it came to my baby was that she smelled like a vagina. <laughs> Consider the source, though. That makes sense. Um, nobody was disagreeing. Just nobody else would say it. Like, no one thinks it when you're like, oh, no, that makes sense. Like, where she came from. Um, if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. Um, Cindy and I just gave our experience as new parents. Um, what we thought was going to happen was completely contra contrary to what actually happened. So much so that like after listening to it, I'm looking back and thinking like, why the fuck did we spend money on those birth classes? Yeah, I'm glad we did. I, I, I but mean, we didn't need them. <laughs> right. But you never know. It could have gone. It could have gone a completely different way. So I would rather be over prepared. Yeah. Than not prepared. <laughs> Shout out to everybody that has contacted us. Shout out to everybody that has listened to the episode in parentheses s so for plural <laughs> um and uh you wanted uh, to touch yeah on, yeah so um well, hold I, on hold on okay. this is aha i've never tried this before you bought it i've been grabbing whatever's at the grocery seltzer store. water every episode so far we've had me drinking a certain seltzer water yeah it's like a different brand every week this is blueberry plus pomegranate not blueberry and pomegranate <laughs> it's like a math <laughs> equation on a can Aha. Sponsor us. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was uh, I, I was contacted by my mom after our episode. Yo, shout um, out to Cindy's mom for, for yeah, listening to a she, podcast. I didn't think she listened to podcasts. Maybe she doesn't. Maybe this is her first one. But she did listen. And, um, you know, she was featured on our episode last week when we were reflecting back on, um, you know, what her experience was like and how I kind of went into things knowing how things went for her. Um, 
and she offered a couple of stat corrections. <laughs> um, I had thought that I was about the same size that our daughter was when I was born, um, which was six pounds, two ounces. But it turns out I was actually more than a pound heavier than that. I was seven pounds, six ounces, and my brother was seven pounds, nine ounces. And my mom did go unmedicated for both births. Prepared by, to do by so. By choice. Yes. She went in knowing. And it is true that it, her births were similar to mine in that um, it, it, things ended up happening so fast that Very she didn't quick. really have much of an option. But she, I, I wanted to give her credit where credit was of due. Course. for. <laughs> she did commit to that. She wanted that from the beginning. And um, she birthed two children unmedicated that were a pound or more larger than my daughter was so <laughs> shout out shout out to mom superheroes man mm-hmm. you. and i also failed to mention that last sunday when we recorded that episode was my brother's birthday and we were talking uh, yeah. about his birth and still failed to mention well, in happy high, birthday <laughs> in passing we didn't get still, into the details still it's just funny that i didn't make that connection even birth. when i was talking about his birth <laughs> even briefly. shout out to cindy's yeah. brother as we mentioned we don't drop names if you want to dig back into the archives just out of respect to those that we interact with on a daily basis or a semi-daily basis we're not going to drop names uh, even if you give us permission to do so not going to do it because you never know. In 10 years, you can look back and be like, what? No, why the fuck? No, <laughs> we're just not going to do it. Keep it safe. Um, if you want to interact on Facebook or Instagram and be like, yo, that was me. Feel Go free. for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. We're, I'm not going to make the mistake. Or maybe it's not a mistake. I don't know. Anyways, as I mentioned, uh, this is Sunday, April the 26th. Um, Got to put my phone in airplane mode because that's what professionals do. Um Yesterday, we're not going to get into a a lot of COVID conversation, but I think there's a lot of um, cross-pollination with today's topic of the environment and climate change and how people uh, approach that with what happened in Rhode Island yesterday. So um, what's going on in the world? Everybody's not blind to it. There's a pandemic. There's a virus wreaking havoc on the world. So much so today I read, I woke up, I wake up, as you guys already know, super early. And while I'm waiting for my pre-workout to kick in, I usually like browse the internet, look at a few articles. You know, the the consensus is, is that if you are 40 or under, you are not in a huge risk factor when it comes to COVID. But apparently there are people that have recovered from COVID that are 40 or younger. I think between the 30 and 40 year range that decade. Um they are experiencing stroke symptoms now. Oh, wow. I haven't yeah. heard that. Yeah. So th- I don't know the percentage of them. I don't know. It's probably a very small percentage of those within that age bracket that had COVID, but there are numerous cases coming up now. I did see an article. I didn't have time to read it, but I saw that there are um, new symptoms coming out. Is that what you're referring no, to? No, the new symptoms. So they've already, they've officially established as loss of taste and smell okay. as a symptom. Yep. Um, these are after effects. So after the two week period. Oh, so like your long term, even after you've recovered. This is after the recovery. Mm-hmm. People within their 30s and 40s are having strokes. Wow. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. And there's something going on with their brain chemistry that doesn't match that to a like a regular stroke like brain waves and whatnot usually apparently and i'm using very loose medical terminology here but like they're it's very scrambled like mm-hmm. the brain waves and stuff and that's how you recognize a stroke there's a weird pattern in the way they examine the brain that's not typical to that of a quote-unquote normal stroke mm-hmm. Interesting. So it's weird. Yeah, we'll um, see. I'm interested to see how all of this it's everything's changing so fast and there's such small sample sizes so far just because the virus is so new and we're looking at relative I mean, even though it's affecting a lot of people, obviously, it's um relatively small sample size in terms of studying diseases. Yeah. So I don't want to get into COVID too much because I feel like people get on podcasts to be distracted from it, but yeah. Um The reason why I bring this up, and I promise it's not going to take too much of the time here, is that yesterday in Rhode Island, there was the the quote-unquote knock-it-off Gina rally to open Rhode Island back up. So Gina is Gina Raimondo, Rhode Island's 
governor. She's doing an outstanding job. I don't give a fuck what people think. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't look at facts, then that's your problem, not mine. And that's going to be very much related in today's discussion about <laughs> the environment. Um, but there are a bunch of, and by a bunch, there was maybe, from what I understand, like 30 people yeah. standing outside the state house of Rhode Island wanting to go back to work. Uh, wanting small businesses to open up again. And look, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that people want to work, but come on. Like, first Mm -hmm. of all, 30 people is not a rally. Let's just just get that clear. Like 30 people. They're just angry and worried. And and misinformed. And misinformed. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and it's it's baffling to me that you see people that are like bitching about what Colin Kaepernick did, right? And he's kneeling. Oh, that's, <laughs> oh, fuck that guy. And then you see people, these same people that bitched about Colin Kaepernick are now holding signs at a quote unquote rally saying, I want my haircut. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? I know. What are we doing? Pri- priorities. Someone's. someone's silently protesting for social injustice or against social injustice i should say and we have people that are misinformed bitching about that guy doing that silently and at a state house rally quote unquote during a pandemic yelling that they want their haircut what are we doing i know what are we doing well part of me wants to give the uh, like that there's some sense of it's mostly based on not wanting the economy to fall and have all these people lose their livelihoods and all that. And that includes people who own hair salons and some of those, you know, non-essential businesses. Those are still people's lives, uh-huh. you know. I get that. But there are some people, right, who just think that the whole thing is is bullshit and they're just protesting because they want to go back to their normal life. And I understand. Not we okay. all do. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. We all I know. Do. I can't even get into this. I'm going to get too angry. That's fine. <laughs> but I do think it's cool. Like the the one thing we can we can agree on is that this is going to be happening for a while. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's cool that like fashion trends are leaning more towards masks now. Like you're going to come out with some pretty fucking stylish masks. Oh yeah, it reminds me of when I in high school we went to private school. How um you know everything was uniform except for the knee highs the leggings that girls could wear. And so that was like the thing you had to go get the coolest, most, you know, outrageous designs of your leggings because that was the only thing that you could personalize. It makes you wonder if, you know, they do become stylized. Like you have Prada. I don't even know if Prada is still cool, but like (laughs) you have Prada or Chanel coming out with masks that are like like luxury. Yeah. And people are like, oh, man. Designer masks. And you see them. And you're like, oh, I want that mask. Or like Jordan comes out with like a patent leather mask or whatever. <laughs> well, you already went and bought your Bills mask. Well, I'm wearing a Jordan's right, right now. Yes, I bought a <laughs> Buffalo Bills mask because A, they're from my favorite team. And B, supporting a local business. It's a local yep. business, a local person, not local, like an independent right. person made that. Mm-hmm. I didn't buy that from Buffalo yep. Bills. They don't need my money. But when it comes to this, I, it makes you wonder if like, okay, say in September schools open back up. But you still have to wear masks. That's mm-hmm. a legit possibility. It's probably a probability at that point. If they'll have designated masks that you have to wear like private schools. So like private school people, like in Catholic schools, they have uniforms. They'll mm-hmm. say you can only wear these. Right. You yeah. can't wear name brand because now we're creating like, you know, social cliques and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, that happens anyway, but. With all of your accessories, you can still accessorize. That's what I was saying about the leggings. As long as it doesn't say anything offensive, I don't care. Right. And even if well, it we'll does, I don't even want to think whatever. about that. I feel, yeah, thinking about having every, everyone having to wear masks going back to school is... Well, you're going to have to. I have a feeling you're, you're going to keep having to wear masks until like February Yeah, but the whole year. thing with the masks is that it's they don't want people to have a false sense of security that you can go out and be in large groups and be in close contact with people and think that you're protected just because you're wearing a cloth face covering. That's not... It's not going to protect you. It will help. It reduces the transmission. I think it's protecting those around you if you're asymptomatic. That's what I mean. Yeah. You, it, right. So it helps, but I still don't. That's not a. Re, they've they've been saying that that's not a replacement for avoiding large social gatherings and people being in close contact. So no, I, don't I know. still think we're going to have a, a sense of social distance too. Even in schools. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Let, let's let's <laughs> get off this. Um, 
let's talk about the environment. So it should be noted that Cindy, as discussed on a previous podcast episode, is a wildlife biologist. I am not anywhere near that smart or my, my you know, profession isn't nearly that exciting, I guess you can say. But Cindy and I, and I think I can speak for both of us being married to you for so long, we lean left if not completely left. Um, We're not far left, I think. Um, We are college-educated people. That's not to say anything bad about those that are not. Um, We went to liberal colleges, I guess you can say, and um, we aren't religious. So we lean towards the the proclamations or the proof and the evidence supplied by science. We, I can speak for myself in here, it is always fact over feeling, fact over scripture, fact over religion, always. That is how I operate. You can, you can mm-hmm. decline that, you can elaborate on that as much as you want. Yeah, I think, um, I just want to make sure we mentioned up front that um, I, I mean, I'm a scientist by profession. I work with a lot of um, other scientists and that's the field that I, that I'm in. And um, so there, you can call it a bias if you want, but that's just the perspective. Can you be biased (laughs) towards fact? I mean, like if you by a, definition, no, but right. in reality, I think people will call that a bias so just if, because they don't like it. So if, if two plus two is four and that is what you abide by and someone says it's five, they would say you're biased? I don't know. And here's where it comes to, I was just going to mention your background. Sure. You are college educated in philosophy. You have a yes. degree in philosophy. And so it's... That was perfect. That <laughs> You you tend to take these, um, you, you like default back to your... Um, training in uh, thinking of uh, like in logic and stuff like that. And, and that's how you tend to frame conversations. And sometimes um, it you stump me by the way that you ask a question. Even if I know the answer, you have a way of asking questions or presenting um, an argument in such a way Socratic that I can't respond even though I know that I have the answer or I know that I'm right about that particular okay. thing and so it can get really frustrating when we have these types of conversations or you tend to oversimplify it by breaking it down like you, you said well two plus two is four like how can anyone argue with no, that no, no, and no, it, I'm saying can you have a bias against fact I think people do they will say oh well you just think that because you're biased but like, I'd say it's a fact it's measurable. It's observable. Well, when you're talking about, this is what I mean. When you say two plus two is four, no one in reality is going to make that argument, I'm saying. But when you're talking about a much more complex sure, topic, sure, like climate sure. change, they would say, oh, you just think that because you're biased, even though the reality is, no, I just believe All in right. facts. Let's or not I jump the gun. In science. Although, don't major in philosophy. Minor <laughs> in it. Minor in it, for sure. It's or made double you major. very good at arguing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's made me very good at uh, critiquing yes. things, I think, even though I'm not smart. You're so really go good at breaking things down. So how do you want to begin with this? Yeah. So I think one of the um, working in, um, you know, the environmental education field and stuff like that, one of the things I always um, talk to people about, especially working with kids, is we we talk about what their first memory or first experience is in the outdoors. And that's how we try to, you know, set a basis for where they're coming from and what level of experience they've had with with the natural world um sports yeah there you go that's what i want to know from you what your first memory was of sports. being outdoors well bef- or I, your most memorable experience of being in the outdoors doesn't necessarily have to be the first one well sports it's always sports my main source of vitamin d but i'm sure before organized sports when i was a kid this is before the internet right and although tv was around like other than like sesame street i wasn't super into tv so uh me and my siblings used to go out all the time and play in the backyard and stuff but we weren't i mean i i don't i don't there's home videos of it i just don't necessarily recall but i wasn't afraid of getting dirty i wasn't afraid of bugs i don't think until now i'm afraid of bees but up in when i was a kid I was outside all the time. Mm-hmm. It should also be noted that you grew up in Providence. In I grew a up major in the city. suburbs. Yeah. Eh. Well, yeah. We debate about that all the time. I, I don't know. I how did so- not grow up in the city. It's city. Pretty cl- okay. I mean, you're like literally five minutes from the state house sure. in downtown. Our neighborhood growing up is not 
dissimilar to no, it's this not. neighborhood right now. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's true. I just think you were you were in a more urban area than sure. Yes, some, but still wasn't like you weren't living like in an apartment downtown no, or whatever. No. Yeah, um, but you guys never really did like you didn't go camping or you weren't like I would say like outdoorsy. Like you didn't do like hiking or like. No kayaking or anything Mm -mm. like that it was just a matter of being outside in your backyard and of course at school you probably had recess outside of course yeah but the extent of camping was going to strawberry park in connecticut which is luxury camping with right like with a camper like an rv yeah well i did the same my family we did camping every weekend for many summers at a similar um campground uh in connecticut and um but even though the, the rv we had was pretty you know, it could be considered luxury. Like we weren't tent camping. Right. We still spent a lot. I, I just remember always going um, down to the little pond and catching frogs or I would like dig through the firewood pile for snakes and <laughs> uh, yeah. go show them to my parents and stuff. And um, those are probably my most significant memories of being outdoors is is through our camping trips. And I also was in Scouts. I was in Girl Scouts. I so was in Boy Scouts camping. for a year. I don't That's remember... It what i did you weren't a fan i was a cub scout so i don't remember what i did it wasn't sports so i didn't like it <laughs> um but i do remember like my mom taking me to like lakes mm-hmm. and stuff to play with other kids so yeah it wasn't like i was i stayed inside right and i think that's the danger of today with kids is that there are, there are a lot more distractions now than there were in the 90s but mm-hmm. i don't want to jump too far ahead so yeah. So, and you also, your family was never, you're not a fan of the beach and your family never went to the beach. That's not right? true. Oh. We went to the beach. I hate it. <laughs> okay. I hate it because I'm very pale. Um, I'm milk white here. <laughs> I don't tan. So I go from milk white to bright red in an instant back <laughs> to white after peeling in between. There is no... <laughs> I burn and then I get crisp and that maintains until cold weather. Yeah. I just go right back. So I hate the beach. I hate sand. Mm -hmm. Um, But we went and that's funny because we live in the ocean state. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. But we went to the beach. My dad never went to the beach. He was the same way. He hated the beach. But my mom took us to the beach. I just, it took me until my adult life Mm -hmm. to realize like I'm just, my body is not, I can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. You're also not into water activities, though. And again, we live in the ocean state, no. but you're not a fan of the water, not a fan no. of the beach. Yeah. No. You're, you'd much rather go uh, up to the White Mountains or something But I wouldn't for a call that outdoors. Of course it is. No, it's not recreation. when you're like, going to like, the pool and stuff. What do you mean? No, I mean like going to the beach or like going like looking sure. for shells, looking, okay, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. I did that. Just like exploring. I did that stuff. I just, mm-hmm. I won't, uh, I'd be miserable if I yeah. did today. Yeah. Well, sure. Well, you you mentioned something that um, there's statistics about the n- amount of time people, especially kids, spend indoors versus outdoors now compared to right. you know like when we were growing up and how different it is. And it's something like again, I always fail to look up these things before we record. But um, uh, is this compared to the nineties? I like no we no, kids? just the current um, estimate. It's something like people spend more than eight hours on average in front of a screen of kids because of their they're on screens Does this at school homework yes okay um it's like a, about eight hours a day on a screen and like less than like 20 minutes outside or something i have a feeling though that the amount of out time outside time has gradually decreased since television mm-hmm. like over decades yeah because probably it's always something new right video games and then the new video and games so and there's always something else handheld video game like shit right. like that right yep dvd players, and it's way more common DVD like i know players. when i was growing up i didn't have um a tv even in my bedroom i did I think, yeah i yeah, know you did so i don't know maybe that was maybe i was just the exception but i feel like it was it's more common now for a child to have their own screen or device whatever it is whether it's a tv or a tablet or a phone or something yeah, i don't know that they have tvs in their room anymore well, if they just have a laptop or a yeah. tablet they don't need it yeah yeah so that's definitely different. Well, um, yeah, I, th- I do think that's, it's important, you know, going in, in, relating this to being parents. I do think it's important for children to be able to go outside and play and to experience the outdoors because I know when it comes to our child, 
she's super curious and she was always super curious and she it's loves natural. kids are always i don't know that curious. that's true i'm i'm sorry i don't I'm know nodding. that it's true that they're naturally curious about wildlife not necessarily wildlife but the outdoors in general i mean yeah okay. I, I want you to finish your thought but yeah i have she was always interested in animals so we sort of i don't know if that has to do with our encouragement of it and again we have a cat so i think that some sort of non-human animal constantly being around her i think she was sort of gravitating towards mm -hmm. that and you know when we now we take her outside she wants to dig for worms um she loves the next door neighbor's dog even though it barks and she gets scared she picks all the dandelions she loves picking flowers she loved used to love picking grass um pick up she, sticks sticks she loved doing the garden with you well, that's what I'm saying year, like, is that that I don't it. think that's very unique to her. I mean, she it's it's snowballing and one thing builds on another, I think, because we encourage it and because we, you know, continue to put her in the position to continue exploring. But even if you take a, a kid who hasn't spent a lot of time outside, who did grow up in, in a city or whatever and right. hasn't spent a lot of time outdoors um, and you put them in a scenario like that, you put them in a place where like a safe outdoor area where um they can just explore. It's so natural. And they can occupy themselves for a really long time looking at the most simple things like twigs and grass and worms. And mm. it, it is natural. It's just, I think, um, the opportunities are not as prevalent as they used to be. I wonder if kids today, though, are as inclined as you think, because I have a feeling that there are a lot of parents out there that discourage their children from getting dirty mm -hmm. and when kids you know do something innocuous in the house like spill water or something it's the end of the world or track dirt or whatever mm -hmm. not allowed to like i don't know be dirty in the house i don't know like, yeah that I, all comes down to um fear being, well, i don't know like, if it's fear well, i just think it's different it's, on different levels but it's it's a it's a Mis in misplaced form of discipline, I would say. Maybe. But that's what I mean. That's what I mean when I say given the opportunity, be put in a scenario where it, they're like open to do those things. Just like get dirty, get your hands dirty. But I wonder how many of those kids would do it. It depends that on what they're... That were already previously right. like discouraged from their parents from doing it. Yes, it depends on how normalized that sort of behavior right. is in their upbringing, I think. Sure. But that's why... I'm really passionate about environmental education, especially in early years, because yeah. I think that those formative experiences are so important in how you view the world and how you will approach things, serious conversations like climate change and the environment and everything as an adult and choices that those kids will end up making as parents and things like that. So when it comes to, you know, the, the upbringing, how important, you know, we're, we're talking about what we do with our child, how, is, how important is it for you, for her to get dirty, for her to, you know, explore things, touch wildlife and whatnot? Because for me, someone that's not as, you know, deep in that world as you are, although I'm not discouraging it, like mm -hmm. I still have my, not fears, but apprehensions to be like, I don't know if you're supposed to be touching this because this could be like poison oak and I have no idea. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. not that I wouldn't let her touch it, but I'm just like, I don't, I don't know what's like, if she, we go to a lake or something and there's frogs, probably in Rhode Island, there yeah, are no there poisonous aren't, no, frogs, but I'm just not. like, I don't know if you're supposed to be touching that. Like, no. <laughs> right. So that's where the education comes in. We should a hundred percent teach her what poison ivy looks like. And then she'll know you don't touch the plant that looks like this. And if she does, she gets poison ivy rash. She'll never forget what that plant looked like. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's same thing with um, there are legitimate things to be worried about, even though we don't live in like a tropical place where there's like poison dart frogs or whatever. You don't no, have to worry about that. Like, but like poison ivy is poison like ivy, worst. mosquitoes because of, you know, triple E and West things Nile, like that. Yeah. But and ticks, that's the biggest thing. Like when teaching kids about being outdoors and um, doing it in a safe way. For us, where we live, that's the biggest thing is protecting yourself against ticks. I never do. What do you mean? I don't do anything. I don't have no preventative measures against ticks. Well, you check yourself. 
it's part well, of you don't you're supposed to <laughs> i thought i drilled that into you no, enough. No. for me it's just part of my routine if i'm if i spend the day a day in the field and i come i come, or i go for a hike in the woods or whatever if i'm outside i it's i could have you, lime you check don't even know it, it. you you would know it okay <laughs> but i feel like that's i thought it was more of your routine than it was no. i mean i'm always saying oh, i gotta check myself for ticks i gotta go throw my clothes in the dryer just in case and stuff like that i mean no. i guess yeah but you're really not you when do you go outside That's what like I'm saying. you you mow the lawn which is still it's possible to pick up ticks Probably you know not. in the peak season they, they've been pretty bad but um and we don't spray for ticks or anything in mm-hmm. the in the yard so um but that that's the biggest thing is is balancing those like it's okay for there's there's a natural fear that's important to keep yourself safe sure but you have to be educated about it and you have to tell the kids what is a reasonable thing to be worried about and so that they can protect themselves against the legitimate threats like mosquitoes and ticks and poison ivy but not make it so that it's like it, they they can't think if they touch poison ivy that they're gonna die. No, like right, but I feel like that well, th- that messaging. You're, you're sure. I guess you could be extremely allergic and have a bad reaction. That's possible, but it's not very common. But I'm saying you you have to message those things appropriately. You don't want to um, instill fear that is you know disproportionate to the true threats out there. Listen, child. That's what I'll say to my daughter. Listen, child. <laughs> Don't be like me. Embrace the fuzzy bees, she the nice them. small fuzzy bees. But the one that looks like Satan, run away. <laughs> yeah, run away. Well, so I'm not gonna go if we have wasps in our shed last yeah, year. I, They're well, probably I'm gonna come back again this year. All set. I'm not gonna go in there. That, but that's what I mean. That's educate. It's like. They're not going to bother you if you don't bother them. No, wasps will. No, not, not if you're not. If you're going in there and you're pounding on the wall where their nest is or you're doing something that's going to make them feel threatened, they're going to defend their territory and they're going to come after you. Listen, but if we're just hanging out in the backyard, <laughs> stop. If we're hanging out in the backyard, doing our thing, playing catch, whatever, she's picking flowers, the wasps aren't going to come out and attack her from across the yard. Like, she doesn't have to be afraid of that. You're Satan reincarnate. <laughs> Let's move on to, uh, I think we established the, the value of children in the outdoors. Let's talk about the naysayers. So like, as I said, we are uh, fairly liberal. We can get into a whole political discussion on another episode because I, I consider I myself we to be... Avoid that. I consider we'll myself to be a little bit more moderate than how I actually may sound. But when it comes to environmental... Well, sure. <laughs> when it comes to environmental issues, though, I am very left-leaning and i do think there's a disconnect and again i'm not trying to insult anybody that uh views this a certain way i do know some people that consider themselves uh right-leaning or conservatives that do have an appreciation Mm -hmm. for the environment and that do believe that climate change is a thing um but when it comes to climate change and people that deny it i don't necessarily i think it's twofold i think people deny it because they don't do much investigation into the facts and they just hear something on fox news spew to them and and they say okay this is what i'm going to believe and or they're maybe they think it exists but they don't care because it's going to much like the people in the beginning of this conversation that i talked to you about Mm -hmm. at the state house it so much interferes with the way they they live that the change in which to adhere to curving uh climate change towards a better state for the planet would radically change the way they live. And that's where I think you end up with the category of people who take the stance of, um, well, climate change is real. I believe it's it's a thing. I believe it's happening, but I don't think it's because of humans. No, I do think they there are people there that believe. Well, I'm saying those are different categories. There are people who are like 100% climate change is real. It's happening and it's driven by human activity mm-hmm. for period. Then there's the complete deniers. Climate change isn't even real, not a thing, or it's a natural process. It's always been this way. It's nothing to worry about. 
And then there's, I think there's that third category of people who admit that it's a thing, that it's happening, but we don't think humans are the ones causing it. Those are kind of like the three general stances that I I think are out there. When it comes to that last one, I feel like that's a little bit harder to combat than it's not happening at all. How? Because the, I just don't know. Oh boy. (laughs) I don't know for sure. I think we have enough evidence to suggest highly that it's human made. It's, this is a man-made thing. Correct. But if we're talking just the words and what they mean, it's not proven to be so scientifically proven i mean how much proof do you need what I would mean, what would prove it i i don't know i don't know but like it every time i see articles is scientists scientists suggest this not it is proven it is not as solid as two plus two is four okay yes but there's overwhelming evidence i agree okay i agree with that completely i'm just saying those people that say it's not man-made or we don't know enough to be man-made. But we, I, but we I th- do know enough. We know enough to suggest it. We don't know I think know that's just the way it's always it. presented. Like sure. that's just, uh, yeah, but so what's the point? I don't understand. Like what's the argument? I think when people hear that and they say, oh, it, it's scientists suggest, they look at it and say, okay, there's wiggle room to disagree. Right, so that's um, cherry picking because there's a lot of things that people present that way so-and-so suggests and people latch onto it as fact yes yes and yes so but this is because it disrupts the way they live right so it's it's just them choosing what to believe and then they'll you know use an argument like that say oh well it's not true they or they don't say it's 100 percent. they just suggest it but they listen to other things that people suggest mm-hmm. in yes. way more casual it way here's to how they live right. that's what i'm saying so, 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 like, so it has nothing to do with how the scientists are presenting it it's all no, about no, 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 people no, no, no. it's no. their confirmation bias of yes only yes. wanting to acknowledge the things that align with their beliefs that already exist. Right. So they're asking for something that is impossible. So they, they can't. It doesn't matter how we say it. We well, it does matter how we say scientists it. Scientists will never be able to prove this in real time. It's going to have to be in hindsight. Like it's going. Right. To well, ha- we also have projections that are pretty like. So, for example, the projections that were done, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, have proven to be true. and. If anything, it all that's been proven is that there's been a rise in CO2. Correct. In uh, in line with the projections that were made years ago. We're on I'm the trajectory is, is that we that, projected or we're surpassing it because we took a like the reality is worse than we projected. I'm playing devil's advocate. Yeah, so I know. Like, yeah. Is in that aspect, are we saying that all that if I'm looking at this as someone that doesn't want to be disrupted in the way I live, I would say to you, all this proves is that the trajectory of the rise in CO2 is in line of what we predicted 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Show me how that means we did it. it that, that information exists. That's but what I'm saying. within that same chart? I, I mean, it's an extremely complicated model, but I agree. yes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think these people need concrete, it's irrefutable... There. It's out there. They just choose not to... They cherry pick, and they choose to only believe or acknowledge the information that confirms their existing bias i'm not sure that that's true because like although again i lean towards science always Mm -hmm. always but even if it sounds outrageous i'll always lean towards science for me seeing again i i disagree with how these people talk about it and think about it but i feel like if there is a small percentage, like 1%, and I think that's what it is, like 99% of the... That's a the, standard confidence. Yeah, that's like the highest confidence interval you They'll can, say it's not 100%, therefore it's not a fact. Right. Yeah, but... I, there's I, 1% of scientists, like, uh, I don't know, environmental So if there was something that was a 99% chance that it was going to kill you, it was 1% that it wasn't, would you do it? No. Of, okay, of so like, not. that's what I'm saying. Like, so like, what is the point of that argument? Like, it, it, why wouldn't I'm, you I'm go with the 99%? They, I agree with you. I'm just saying this is how they operate because when we're we're making laws and we're making uh, uh, bills and stuff like right, things that are now and, are affecting yeah. our government and the way we pay taxes right. and the way we operate in mm-hmm. in this country, most of those things are you know done 
with fact, mm-hmm. right? Like, so if they're, I don't know, maybe that's speaking out of my ass, but most of these things were like, you know, there's a correlation. There's like, oh, I can see how they arrive to this conclusion, even if I don't agree with it. Right. right. With climate change, because there's that small percentage of wiggle room, coupled with the fact that it's going to disrupt the way I live, people need, I, I need to see this well, factualized. So I guess. I guess it doesn't necessarily mean that there's 1% of wiggle room. I think that science is always presented that way with if something is statistically significant. And it's measured by a confidence interval and a confidence interval, a small confidence interval of 99% is about as close as you're going to get to I something agree. being factual. Okay, so, <laughs> so I think that part of the problem is I said before that it doesn't matter how we say it. And that's I, I, I walk that back because how we communicate science is incredibly important to how people understand it and if people understand it. And I think one of a huge problem in the scientific community is scientists are um, who, you know, have been they spent their careers and their lives in these academic um environments they are not very good at communicating they're good at doing their research and analyzing data and communicating with other scientists about their findings and that's why there's an entire field of people who do science communication and um they're people that are good at communicating and understand the science and that's what we need as far as messaging. And I think things have to be put in a way that don't let people get caught up in the nuance of, oh, well, 99%, that means it's not 100, so I'm not going to believe it. Because they, they don't understand the context of what that means in science, that that's about as close as you're ever going to get to something being I don't even know if it's fact. 99%. I'm just... Right, me either. But I'm saying the models that are being presented have very, very high confidence. Yes. Okay, so... It's but like I'm the saying, COVID models that but, we're dealing but with right now. when people don't have a complete understanding of what that means and what those percentages mean, like you said, all they see is, oh, it's not 100, so I don't believe it. Like, that's why we need to message it in such a way that, that outlines how, um, how confident that it, in, in the scientific world, that is confident. Like, that is... No, I know. You I know? get it. I get what you're saying. I just think that there are people out there that you know i don't know like you have scientists maybe it is a communication issue because you know relating this to covid because i don't think they're the way people are perceiving this is that dissimilar you have fauci coming up there and saying things like and this is legit we should never shake hands again ever even after this ever and like that is maybe true but we shouldn't but Let's be real here. That's a it's, little bit of an extreme thing not to present. It's harmful in right. five years from now if Maybe. you shake someone's hand. I think that just, that's not a scenario that people want to think about right now. I think people just need to have hope. <laughs> but I'm saying that's an example of poor communication yes. based on science. Because scientifically, that's probably true. And he's a scientist. That's my point. He's probably not trained in say. communication. <laughs> I agree. A lot of scientists are really bad at communicating. That's why there's training and things offered to scientists to try to help them learn that skill because <laughs> it's me, a skill in and of itself let me shift gears when it comes to how people are viewing this how much of this do you think has to do with the fact that maybe if they did do no i'm speaking more t- towards the naysayers well, of what climate do you mean, change of viewing this climate change yes okay people that don't agree quote unquote with it or or, or believe quote unquote with it or in it rather how many of those individuals do you think would if they bothered to do the research but don't because they have a bias towards intellectualism against intellectualism so there's this movement right now of anti-intellectualism okay and so like those that are graduating from college those that are well-educated those that are able to think analytically and critically are quote-unquote running the show i also feel like the vast majority of those people again maybe i'm wrong about this this is based on nothing but how i feel lean left like a lot of people that come out of college and a lot of people that Mm -hmm. come out of universities lean left that's not to say that there aren't right-leaning people that come out of these you know uh, sort of traditions but Mm -hmm. I feel like it, in America, the vast majority of those do end up leaning left. How much of that do you think 
people are viewing and saying they're just influenced by liberalism mm-hmm. of these colleges. They're not truly intellectual. They're just thinking they're smarter than us. They're not. They don't have mm-hmm. these hand to world experience or hand to land experience right. like I do, even though I'm not college educated, doesn't mean I'm stupid. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I do think that there is a level of, uh, I don't want to say expertise, but a level of um, refinement and skills that when you do go to college, you're able to research things a little mm-hmm. better because that's what you're doing in college. Practice makes perfect. You do that a lot, so you're going to end up being better at and it. And you learn what a reputable source is you and learn, how to identify yes. You know how to not. cite sources correctly. You're yeah. not citing Fox News or even CNN. You're citing actual data um, or, you know, scientifically acclaimed... Peer-reviewed literature. Literature, or yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, dialing back, how much of this naysaying do you think has to do with the bias against those that are in the intellectual field? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't really aware of that being like an actual movement of anti-intellectualism. I've, I've heard that sentiment before and I understand it. I think that it's... Um, do you even... think that has to do with the communication, though? Probably. Like those that are... I don't want to say intellectuals. Those that are well-educated in a certain field maybe inadvertently end up sounding condescending. Mm-hmm. Like you say that all the time when I talk philosophy with you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not trying to sound condescending. I'm just like, I have to be as specific and clear as possible with the baseline stuff in order to get to what I'm trying to say. Right. No, I definitely think that that's a problem. I, that's what I was getting at with, you know, scientists are are notoriously bad at communicating unless there's a particular effort made to to do it in a way that's effective. And um, I think people who fall into that other category that you were saying of just because I'm not college educated doesn't mean I'm stupid. That's that's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. That, and I think that those people absolutely have other skills and strengths that people in the intellectual, you know, more, you know, traditionally college educated, whatever, in that academic um, world don't necessarily have that hands-on stuff. It, for example, in thinking again in the conservation field, like working with um, people in natural resources, I see it all the time with people who have grown up, um, uh, you know, in the outdoors, ha- learning hands-on by experience. And they're some of the most knowledgeable people you'll ever meet, like can identify any plant, any bird, right. you know what I mean? And they have this uh, just connection. intimate connection yeah. and understanding of the natural world and they never went to college or it's a lot of hunters are like that too. Like they know right. yes. people who, people who recreate in the outdoors all the time end up gaining that understanding and it's unique and different from what you get in a college setting. Um, how much of the dismissal do you think has to do with the fact that it's an intellectual disconnect? No, the fact that it is researched and, and uh, how do I word this? It's research and it's, done by those that are well education well educated in academia mm-hmm. that the initial response because of that to people not only does it interfere with the way they live but it's oh you're a fancy fancy scientist so just I, just, I don't believe they you just put their walls up yes. and don't want to hear it in the first yes. place yeah i bet that's part of it because it's true i mean even though these issues are very very complicated and the models are all complicated and all of that it is understandable and it is you know, uh, an approachable thing for, I think, anyone to understand if you were to look at it and if it's communicated properly. I think there are some aspects that even someone who is educated in the field is not going to understand all the intricacies that come along with it. But at its very basic level, I think anyone can understand it if they're open to it and if it's being communicated in a way that is, you know, understandable. For someone who's not an expert in the field. And I think that you're right. I think a lot of times people don't even necessarily get that opportunity because they put that wall up. Why is it that you think that the vast majority of those that dismiss this as an issue, I don't want to make this a political thing. So, but like our, I guess you, you kind of have to in the yeah. political sphere, like are those that are right wing. Is it a money thing? Like, I, no, I legitimately I, just don't know. Because, I know. Like, and that's are something that are salt of the earth kind of people. I know. Like, they do have a very, like, anti-government kind of thing. So maybe that mm-hmm. has more to do with it. 
I think that's I think that's part of it. And I will say this is something that keeps me up at night, just knowing that, you know, that the the basic protections of our environment and respect for our natural world and taking care of our planet, that that has something that has become politicized. That alone keeps me up at night. Well, so I can't go too far into that. But <laughs> I think um, when it comes to why this issue has become in um, a left versus right. kind of Yeah. Thing. And why people on the right sometimes have such a problem with it is because um, I think that there's a line of thinking that ends with this is government overreach. It's overregulation. They're using this as an excuse to tell me how to control my land or tell me how to live my life. Tell me if I can drive my car, uh, you know, that gets certain miles to the gallon or things like that. Um, I think it, it bleeds into an issue of control. And I, I I mean, even as I'm saying that, it sounds like I'm describing all these people as like paranoid who think the government is trying to take them over. I don't think that's true. No, but it does sort of inflict on your quote unquote freedoms. In a way, but there's a lot of things. And this is um, the COVID thing is really in the back of my mind right now. It's hard to ignore that because I feel no, like there's, I told you, there is some cross pollination. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think, um, yes, your freedom is important and we have freedoms in this country, but there are certain things there 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 is a place for laws and regulations when they're there to protect us as a whole and to protect resources that serve all of us and that we all have a right to and if you think your freedom surpasses the rights of everyone else to live a healthy life and have access to these resources that are that do belong to all of us that's where we have a problem sure you do not have that freedom sure i don't i don't disagree like, look, like I said, I I consider myself to be a little bit more moderate than I let on, maybe, if you haven't picked up on it. When it comes to environmental issues, I'm with you. Um, when it comes to my property, though, or my money, I feel like that's mine. And Right. Like, but but if you're if you, for example, if you're a business owner, or you work in some industry that causes pollution or a significant amount of carbon emissions. And you are against quote unquote, overreaching government regulations that limit your emissions or limit your ability to pollute a certain river or water sure. body or whatever. And you don't like that because it, it impedes your ability to make money. I understand that it makes it harder for the industry. I get that. But it is not your freedom or your right to pollute that resource that belongs to everybody and is going to affect the drinking water quality or a basic human needs of other people in your community. Or yeah. climate change as a whole. Like, I feel like there needs to be a balance there. And it's your personal responsibility as a human and as a business owner to do the right thing from that perspective. And if it takes the government creating a regulation or a law to make that happen, you know, it is what it is. It's too bad that there are people out there who would do the irresponsible thing and r ruin resources that belong to everyone. This isn't dissimilar to the extension of when we talked about health and fitness for me when it comes to taking care of your, your body like you have this notion and even if you do ascribe to that mentality you have this notion of i need to take care of my body to keep it at the best shape as possible to make sure i'm healthy for those around me for my kids for my grandkids future grandkids rather and whatever xyz I need to make sure my house is in good shape, right? So I need to make sure that my um, the upkeep of the house is, is perfect, like that there are no holes in the ceiling where you know, rain can come in. There are no mold spots that could give me severe respiratory issues. There are no uh, rodents around carrying around diseases in my house. Like you just, just normal maintenance to make sure your house is or whatever property you live on is in good shape and good enough that you can live and survive in a healthy way same thing with your car you need to make sure you have gas in the car to make sure it's you know for a second let's you know not think of how that affects the environment real quick but yeah. <laughs> you're you have oil changes like you, your your tires are full of air xyz whatever your lawn is cared for, the grass is cut, you have mulch in the front or whatever. You want to take care of everything. Why aren't we taking care of the planet? That is the ultimate house. I like it is yeah. the only house. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, it, it's, um, you don't necessarily see the, the effects. So for example, if you don't take care of your car and you don't change your oil for three years, 
you're going to see the effects real yeah, fast. But year one, that's a future me problem. Right. Even that can be you. I think you can be removed from it to some extent. But I think it's even way more amplified when you're talking about the effects of the planet, because the effects of climate change we're talking about years, generations like that. That's could not be, what they're saying. They're saying like 2050 well, shit can hit the fan. You're right. So now we've gotten to the point where that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> years ago, it was a future me problem or a future generation problem. Which, but how can you have that mentality towards your grandkids? I know. I don't get it. I agree. Because you haven't met them? I, I, I don't think that's... I don't think people who deny it or who, you know, fall into that category that we've been referencing are actively thinking that. I don't think that there are people. Maybe there are. No, I, this I, is I more geared towards those that, like, believe it and don't want to do anything and about it because it, it, yeah. it, it disrupts the way I live. Maybe. I think part of it is that's just compartmentalizing. And I think it also depends on what you what else is going on in your life. And I, th- I gave this context when we were talking about the fitness episode, too, of, like, if you have if you're dealing with a severe like medical issue or you're like you just lost your job or you've got like some other like serious immediate problems going on in your family you're going through a divorce if you're going through you know a loved one passing away whatever it is like you don't always have the mental capacity to think about what can i do for climate change like i get it I, i like and so i think it depends on where you are in your life and but if you have if you are in a situation where like you can only do what you can do but I feel like yeah, some people can't buy Priuses and stuff. Exactly. Like, but I think there are things that you can do. And I think those are the things that we need to focus on is like, no plastic. Don't put bags. the burden on people. Right. Like little things. I think it's important that we don't burden people to feel like this is on you. Like you need to change your way of life. You need to flip your life upside down in order to take care of the planet. But I think if you present incremental small actions that people can take, they add up over time. And I think. I also think that there sometimes is a little bit of a disproportionate weight put on the individual. And um, because really, like, whether or not I take my reusable bags to the grocery store, it's a good thing to do. I will continue to do it when coronavirus is over. <laughs> I can. Um, but they're still going to make plastic. It's not going to change the trajectory of like me as an individual doing that one action. It makes me feel like I'm contributing and I'm doing the responsible thing. But in the big picture, there are bigger fish to fry like we need to tackle emissions at a large scale and that's going to happen through these wide-ranging regulations and structural change within our economy and government and those are the things that overwhelm people and i think make people feel like holy shit this is like too big for like i can't do anything to help that well a positive of the covid is that apparently co2 emissions are way down (laughs) way down yeah but it's it's not going to have a huge impact to the trajectory of climate change. I'm just saying, like, I remember when China shut down their country, they had, like, an aerial view or something. They measured the CO2 emissions, and it was substantially lower. And, I mean, like... Yeah, but it's temporary, and it's not going to It's a couple fix, months, like I said, we're saying, but, like, it's, yeah, but it's, it's not, not going gonna... to affect the long-term trajectory. I get it. Right. Um wrapping this up there's one more thing so i i I told you i asked you rather about anti-intellectualism and you know right-leaning those that are typically against climate change or whatnot how much of this again this may be leaning right again no disrespect how much of this do you think is religiously influenced i think that's a really hard question because i don't Okay, so like it, the 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 conserv the typical conservative Christian that's like God will figure it out. That perspective has always confused me because I feel like there are um, verses in the Bible, and um, I can't quote. We them. don't have to get biblical. Know. I'm just saying, like, but how I'm, much of this do you think is biblically influenced? So, a small percentage, would you say? Uh, yeah, because I think that that message is not clear. I think there are in Christianity, there's also this, um, you know, uh, there's scripture that says that it's our responsibility to care for the planet and everything in the planet is God's creation. And but in the first book, this is yours. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's contradictory. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's my point is I feel like you can make an argument either way if you're coming at it, if you're using um, a, a biblical standpoint to defend you could take either position and it would be supported by what's in the bible depending on what verse you're looking at and maybe that's someone who hasn't studied the bible not interpreting it correctly or not having a complete understanding of what it means but i'm saying that i've never really understood that 
because I feel like it, yeah. It, yeah, I think it's the the whole genesis. Like we, God did this for you. So like you, the planet is for man. Earth is for man. Animals well, even if you, are for man. Even if you believe that, I mean, I obviously I don't believe that. I believe everything has yeah, intrinsic record, value, I don't, I don't and that either. Um, like, you know, things have a right to live just because they are things yes. that are living. <laughs> and, intrinsic um, value. Intrinsic value, but. Even if you do believe that, if you believe the world is here to support human beings and it's ours to do whatever we want with and um, to live off of, take care of it for future. You humans. still have to do that in a responsible way in order for it to be there for you throughout your life and for your future your offspring, your offspring, which is descendants. Biblically so your responsibility, to right? Have. So I feel like that doesn't that's doesn't still doesn't make sense. <laughs> Speaking of offspring, we can wrap a bowl around this, but how important is it for you, for you as a parent to sort of pass down these teachings to our daughter? Cliffhanger. I wonder what I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's not important at all. Or surprising. Fuck obviously, <laughs> obviously yes. I think it's incredibly important and it's, um, something that you know i don't take lightly and something that i um think will be naturally instilled in her just from you know making sure she has valuable experiences outdoors and she has respect for other living things and uh, yeah i mean i I think it's incredibly important (laughs) and i'm I'm, yeah that's the world i live in so well it's i do think as a parent in 2020 it's going to be a challenge as a parent of an almost two-year-old, to raise them, or her, rather. There are no them. Yeah, don't... <laughs> there's there's <laughs> don't only one. To raise <laughs> her so far, um, you know, encouraging her to be outside and encouraging her to put down the device and play with the animals or, I don't know, play with the ducks or Just whatever. Just explore, just know. be curious yeah. and appreciative. Throw her into a, a lake hope for the best i don't know yeah (laughs) but yeah you know it's funny because when it came to the fitness episode i was saying to myself this may be the most controversial episode now this one might be the most controversial episode because you know not again if you fall under this category cool for you i do think ethically you're doing something wrong if you're thinking like hey i believe climate change is legit but i don't give a fuck like i'm just gonna do like i then i think I can't be the one to say, you do you, man. Like, And I here's can't. the philosophy coming out. And we failed to mention that you actually did your honors thesis on an environmental ethics yes. topic. So the yes. ethics thing is uh, pretty prevalent for yes. you. Yes, I, I do. And again, that's relating back to the fitness thing. I do feel like you have an ethical responsibility to take care of yourself. And I do think there's an ethical responsibility to do something to take care of the environment. Like, obviously, if you can't afford a Prius and you have to drive your car, well, then that's the fucking brakes you're gonna have to mm-hmm. drive your car um even if you're taking an uber someone's driving a car so like you know you can't right. uh, unless you can pick specifically a prius to pick you up and to do all these things <laughs> for you pick up your daughter and like it that it gets complicated so like if you're not doing at least incremental things to take care of the environment or to take care of the planet yeah i do think you're you're fucking up I I do. I think you're doing something wrong, Um, not just for yourself, but for future generations. Um, So in that aspect, maybe this influenced you. Maybe it pissed you off. (laughs) If it did either, feel free to drop us a line. Again, you can find us on Twitter at She's Napping Pod. You can email us at while she's napping at gmail.com. And of course, Cindy runs the Facebook page, which has gotten a lot of traction lately. We have a almost a hundred likes, and it's only been like a week right now, so that's good. Um, mm-hmm. If you want to talk more about this conversation, feel free hit us up. Um, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Yeah, we just I, I really would love to hear from everybody. I know we have some people listening who um, also work in the environmental field, um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on on this and tell me what we've missed and what we haven't considered regardless of which side you fall on we want to hear about it as uh mentioned actually on the twitter and on the facebook page we switched podcast providers this pad this past week so if all the episode uploaded again to your podcast feed we apologize 
probably shouldn't have because I did a, a redirect properly. But if in the off chance that it did, I apologize. You can just delete them. It's not an error on your end. It's just part of navigating to a new host. We have stronger analytics. So those in Ireland, Australia, Canada, and I think Germany. I see you. I see <laughs> that you listen. Thank you for the listening. That yeah, and for- if you have feedback, from, if you don't live in America, we really want to hear your feedback. Yes. What are things like in other countries? Yes, especially in Europe. Please uh, let us know. And yeah. um, those that reside in the United States, I see you across the country listening to the show. We appreciate it. Tell your friends. Tell your fellow dads, moms about it, friends that are <laughs> expecting, or people that just like to listen to conversation. Please, word mm-hmm. of mouth is key. Again, if you can give us five stars and a quick review on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate it. Or whatever podcast uh, medium you're listening to the show, if there's a rating system, please do that. Next week, I'm leaning towards talking about the value of tradition. But mm. now that we got the whole politics thing, maybe we'll get into that. because oh, boy. I, I have a couple things to say, but maybe Oof. we'll put that on pause closer <laughs> to November. Where it's maybe we can a do a bit. poll or something. Maybe we'll think about or it. Hear from hear from all of you. What I feel you like we should save that till closer to the, the election. election. Yeah, yeah. We I'm talk a, about uh, that. I'm often. gonna get all fired up. <laughs> That's okay. That's the point. <laughs> I'm glad you shut me up about this topic because I could go on forever. <laughs> yeah, it's probably gonna. We'll probably talk about the value of tradition and you know, as parents, what it means to us. But I don't know. Stay tuned till next week. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks. Peace. Yeah. Bye.